It's on page 469 in the chair Bibles. I think I, I kind of start with this almost every time I have the opportunity to be up in front of the church and, and preach, but um, in preparing these messages, um, God has a particular way of uh, worming into my life um, and making things that I'm reading and preparing to share with you um, stick out like a sore thumb in my life. And so when I prepare these things... Um, it's difficult work, and I feel for Paul uh, doing this every week, and um, I just want to communicate that it, it is a privilege to be up here today, um, to have put some time in to the words that, that we are going to hear, and uh, to be sharing God's word with you all. So before we uh, really dig into God's word, um, I would like us to pray one last time together. Father God, uh, this morning I pray that I would rightly handle your word, God, that this wouldn't be um, spoken in jest or lightly, but God, that your power would be in this place today. God, we know that where your word is opened and where scripture is proclaimed, lives are changed. And so, God, this morning I pray for life change that only you can bring through your word. Father, it is such a joy that we have the Old and New Testament, that we have the ability to hear from you anytime we want. And so, God, we pray this morning as we hear from you from Psalm 42, God, that your presence would be thick in this place, almost palpable. And, God, we pray, too, that any words that you would not have shared today, that, that they would fall out of my mouth. And, God, that you would speak this morning, that we are a family who is here and gathered to worship you and to hear from your word, and, God, be sent out um, to do your work in this, in this area, and wherever we are planted. And so, God, I pray right now for, again, like these ki the kiddos that we sent out for open hearts and open ears that, ears that we may hear and receive your message this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. So Psalm 42. Uh, this psalm is, is a tricky one for me. Um, it, it kind of goes back and forth between, God, I need you, I love you, and where are you, and why are you distant? And um, yeah, it, it's, it's a bit of a wrestling match, but I'm sure we've all had those days, those days where you get up and you, you just feel down. Uh, some days you can point to a tough circumstance in your life that makes it very clear of, oh, this is why I'm so down, this is why I'm feeling this way, but sometimes you wake up and you have no idea. It's just one of those days, right? In my life, I'm, I'm typically a, a ga glass is half full kind of guy. Um, I tend to want to see the best in other people, even in really tricky or difficult situations. Um, but there's days too when I also feel like I, I just can't get anything right. Sometimes those extend into weeks. Whether it's with Sarah or my kids or at work or here at church, oftentimes on those days, I'll kind of put on a happy face I'll push through the day and just kind of hope that tomorrow will be better. My hope in those days is that I don't have to deal with hard times again or even really how I'm feeling inside. So as we read through Psalm 42 this morning, um, I want you to consider where your hope should be found at all times. Because I'll be honest, this is one of my biggest convictions as I was preparing this message, 
of Nathan, where is your hope found? And before we read it, uh, I just want to note, though, too, how much I love the Psalms. Um, they're raw and they're emotional, and um, they're words that can give us great encouragement as we move through our days, but they're also words that almost make you gasp at, well, you really wrote that to God? Like, you said that? And in our psalm today, we're going to read a word picture of a wrestling match. The writer of Psalm 42, we don't exactly know who it is, but we know he's struggling with his place in life, and he's questioning why he's feeling so down. We read through a bit of spiritual depression and hear that even with a strong foundation in God's promises, we'll still have days of questioning and wondering where God is. So please stand as we read Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Will they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go out with the throng and lead them in procession to glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Will they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat. So, even just looking at the title for a minute, the title of this is, Why Are You Cast Down, O My Soul?, the, struggle, the, the writer we know is struggling physically, but he's also struggling with the why. He knows he's down, he's depressed, but cannot for anything figure out why. Why am I feeling this way? And even the title, before we go much deeper, we see that the psalmist is not just saying, staying in bed all day, even though he feels down. He's not streaming Netflix or eating his way out of it. In this chapter, we see a human who is hurting, and turning to God. So often it's my inclination in those times of, of hurt and of, of spiritual depression to turn from God. Because in those times, it's so easy for me to trick myself and saying, well, obviously God doesn't care about me because why would I be feeling this way if a loving God cares for me? So I quickly 
can turn away instead of turning towards. But as we dig into this psalm, we see a person who is solidly rooted in God and struggling. As a thirsty deer seeks a water source, that's how much I need you, Father. Even a deer understands that water is life and necessary. A deer can't survive long without water. In fact, living things can't survive long without water. But so often we're focused on getting the things of this world, that water itself, the physical water, panting for the things of this world, and neglecting to seek for the creator of the water and the creator of life. We can become so fixated on things like saving for retirement, on getting that next bigger, better, you fill in the blank. And all the while, we keep God tucked away nice and neat on the shelf until things get bad and, and we feel like we need, a, we need him. Does your soul thirst for God? Do you desire that which only he can provide? Do you more often find yourself seeking the bigger, better of the world? Or do you find yourself seeking to find contentment in what you have and joy in what God provides every day for us? I'll venture to guess that not many of us in here really struggle to meet basic needs. And I'm not talking about the newest iPhone or the nicest car or being able to eat out at the nicest restaurants. What I'm referring to here is basic shelter, clothes, food. For the most part, for us in this room, we are a people who can afford some luxuries. We complain when our power goes out for a couple of hours one day, and we don't think about people that live in countries that only get power for a couple of hours each week. In all, we can have... Um, I'm sorry, we can get caught up <laughs> in maintaining all of it and all that stuff and all the things that we accumulate. And it's easy to become consumed by consumable products, isn't it? There's days that I'll read scripture, check it off my list, go about my day, and not reflect on what I read one time because I'm, I'm too busy keeping up with the stuff I have to keep up with. I have become complacent in my Christianity. A couple of weeks ago at camp, I had the privilege of um, preaching on the last chapter in 2 Timothy. Uh, we walked through in 10 weeks, First and Second Timothy at camp on Sunday nights, and um, I found this line that really resonated with me then, and um, as I was preparing this message, it's been resonating with me in the last couple of weeks. And the line says simply this, God reigns, his kingdom has dawned. We take heart. Remember the gospel and get to work. That was my conviction this week. As I'm reading this psalmist who has been removed from his home, who is in poor conditions, who is spiritually depressed and still calling out to God, take heart, remember the gospel, and get to work. I was also convicted because I sit here today with information at my fingertips. You can look anything up in a matter of seconds today, right? We have the Old and New Testament revealed to us, God's full revelation. 
And still, sometimes, I feel as outcast and spiritually detached as this psalmist does as he's writing about being in captivity. He's been taunted for his beliefs in God, and he is physically oppressed by the enemy. Now, I, I can't really relate with the psalmist's surroundings or setting or circumstances because I've never been taken captive physically. But I can relate to his spiritual captivity. You see, it doesn't matter rich or poor. It doesn't matter haves or have-nots, Democrats or Republicans, young or old. When we look around, either in this room or at work or at school or in the supermarket or at Walmart or Target, whatever you prefer, we see fallen, sinful people who left on our own devices will fall short of the glory of God. In one of the commentaries that Paul sent me, uh, as I was reading other much smarter people than me's takes on this passage, um, there was an author of a commentary whose name I don't know because it wasn't in this sheet, so I apologize for that. Um, but he laid out some causes of spiritual, depre spiritual depression that I want to share this morning. I'm going to read through uh, four headings of what he shares, and then we'll kind of go back and unpack those a little bit. So according to this particular commentary, um, these are four causes of spiritual depression. Number one is a forced absence from the temple of God where God is worshipped. Number two is the taunts of unbelievers. Number three is memories of better days. And number four is the overwhelming trial of life. So we're going to look at the forced absence from the temple of God where God is worshipped. Now, not knowing who the psalmist here is not a big issue because the psalmist lets us know what his big issue is. And that was being cut off from God's temple. We've all felt distant from God, feeling like no matter what we do, it's, it's just not enough. No matter how much we read, it doesn't sink in. No matter how much we serve, it doesn't fulfill. We felt far from God. And this psalm here is a cry to God. It's a cry to feel near to him again. It's important to gather on Sunday mornings. It's important to sit with your church family. It's important to sing songs together, to hear God's word, to pass the peace. Because those are our, our weekly reminders that God is good, that God has created us to be in community with one another, to sharpen iron, that we might grow closer together as we clo grow closer to God. Not being able to enter the temple of God is a source of great concern for the psalmist. And we have the privilege of living in a country where we can freely walk into this building and not fear retribution for openly worshiping God. The second cause of spiritual depression are the taunts of unbelievers. The psalmist has been removed from his home and surrounded by people who are taunting him day and night. Where is your God? Chances are in this day, um, even his taunters believed in God, but they didn't see God working in this guy's life. Where is your God? They were taunting him day and night. 
Why hasn't he come to rescue you? And the psalmist was very hurt by this because he repeats it multiple times in the chapter here. And today, as we fulfill our call to preach Christ wherever we go, we will encounter people that taunt us. And I'll I'll say that if you are not encountering people that taunt you while proclaiming God's word, you're probably doing it wrong. We, We have to endure being called names. Being asked, how can you believe in a God? We're self-sufficient. We can do it all. Just make more money. Just buy that bigger car. Just get that faster phone. Just get that fifth bedroom for your house. Why do you need to rely outside of yourself? And in those times that we are being taunted, we need to cling firmly to the rock that is Christ and not waver in our convictions. The third cause would be uh, memories of better days. In verse 4, we read, These things I remember. So this is a psalmist reflecting back on, on a previous time in his life. As I pour out my soul, how would I go with the throng, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So this writer had some sort of role in leading God's people in in worship of him. And he's looking back at that time. I'm sure if you're over maybe 20 years old in this room, you've all said the phrase, back in the day, right? Remember when. You get that feeling that uh, your current situation is, is maybe not great or your current situation maybe isn't what you expected it to be. And remembering the past when feeling down can be a healthy thing. It can be healthy to look back and say, look how God has moved in my life. Look what he brought me from and what he brought me to. And to reflect on that and say, surely God will move again. It's maybe not so healthy to look back in the back in the day sense of, Oh, if only I could. Why isn't life like it was back in 1997? Right, Pat? (laughs) But looking back in a longing way for days past can fuel spiritual depression. Looking back in a way that reminds us how God has moved and that he will move again can be healthy. The fourth is the overwhelming trials of life. In verse 7, it says, Deep calls out to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The waves and breakers here are the trials that the writer has gone through in life that have overwhelmed him. They've toppled him over. When we're in trials, it's, it's difficult to sometimes... Uh, reflect on them because it can bring back all that pain that you thought you had moved past. So overwhelming trials of life, especially when you think you have to do it yourself, is difficult to reflect on. And as the writer of this commentary continued, 
uh, the theme turns from causes of spiritual depression to the cure for it, as he puts it. And as we go through life today, we are presented with many worldly false cures. As we see today with the problems of addictive drugs that people use to escape their troubles, or the rise of divorce in uh, divorce rates in America with people thinking, ah, I can find someone else that's going to make me happy. That would fix my life. Or excessive entertainment. Turning to screens to escape, to TV shows or video games, to reinvent ourselves. We each have our own vice to turn to because it, it provides an immediate fix to our situation. But that fix never lasts. And no matter what that vice is in your life, you're only going to need more and more of it to get that same feeling. In this psalm, the psalmist gives us people, us, this congregation, people who love God, a way to win out over depression, a way to not rely on those earthly fixes. And so below... Um, are some ways to combat depression based on Psalm 42. And these also come from that same commentary that gave us the four causes. So the first one of this is he takes himself in hand. The second one is he challenges himself, the psalmist, to do what should be done. And the third one is that he reminds himself of a great certainty. So when he says he takes himself in hand, in this chapter we see a man who is wrestling through these thoughts that keep him down. He doesn't give in to depression as self-pity, though. He could easily pull the sheets over his head and stay in bed all day. For us to battle self-doubt, we need to be rooted in Christ and in Christ's promises for us. Instead of burrowing into doubt in our life, we need to actively dig into God's Word so that we can always be fighting the attacks of Satan and the only way to fight the attacks of Satan is with the truth of God. And we are reminded that because of Christ in our lives, we are loved and we have value. And that is our greatest shield against the flaming arrows of Satan. Another way to combat spiritual depression is that the psalmist challenged himself to do what should be done. This is the challenge to do what the spiritual self knows needs to be done. Not to take the seemingly easy way out and to put our hope, but to put our hope in God. There is no lasting hope in this world. I can say that with an exclamation point on my paper. <laughs> there is no lasting hope in this world. There is nothing you can turn to in this earthly kingdom, apart from Christ, that would be there for you always. There never has been, and there never will. So we need to challenge ourselves to do what needs to be done, to stay on the narrow path, and to be faithful to the call that God has put in our lives. Finally, the psalmist reminds himself of a great certainty. God will not and has never changed. Because of that, God's plans for us will not and have never changed. 
And we can see then everything in our lives through the lens of God's plans for us. He has great plans, plans to prosper and not to cause harm. And that should see how we see the past, no longer as the good old days that we've lost, but now the past becomes the good old days that are just a little foretaste of eternity. Those good old days are a glimpse of what it will be like to be in heaven. When we remind ourselves of who God is and who he's created us to be, it gives us a great confidence that we can go into each day because God is with us. There's nothing we have that can heal us. There's nothing we can gather or accumulate, no friendship, no relationship that can heal us. But in this chapter, we see the psalmist turning his downcast face up towards God, the one and true source of joy and hope in our lives. This psalm lays out our general struggle between doing God's will in our lives and fighting the sin that can easily overcome us. Two times in this chapter, and one time again in 43, the writer says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In our lives, as followers of Christ, we live in the tension of what we think is good for us, our person, and the truth of what God has for us. The psalmist is actively reminding himself where his hope must be found. And it's not like this, oh, I know God, oh, I know Jesus, oh, I know the Holy Spirit. He is actively reminding himself. This is active self-talk. Even though you're not feeling it, even though you're down, your soul hurts, you are telling yourself, you are actively reminding yourself of God's promise for you. I know where my hope is. And even in this hurting, I will praise God, for he is my salvation and my strength. And this isn't like a fake it till you make it situation, because when you do the fake it till you make it, you rely on yourself. You rely on yourself doing the right thing long enough that now you're going to have success. But when you tell yourself that God is your salvation and hope, you are seeking the true path to healing your soul. After hearing this psalm and understanding our life as a Christian will not be an easy life, but rather a life tied to the suffering of Christ, Jesus, as a man, experienced humanity. So we follow a Savior who understands us and who knows our struggles. And since he already paid the price of sin on the cross, why would we think today he would abandon us in our suffering? Why would we think he's not standing next to us in our joy? We follow a loving God who wants us to trust him completely and wants us to feel emotions in our life, but not let our life be driven by emotion. And as we close our time in this prayer, I'm going to just end the same way the psalmist does in this in this psalm. Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God.